BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. He's destroyed business. He's trying to destroy church. He's trying to destroy our law enforcement, destroying the, the, the lives of our children with shutting down their schools. I mean, there's nothing right about this. I'm actually elated that the man's running again because he needs to pay for what he's been uh, put Illinois through. So it looks like quite a battle royale. All right, Flannery, come on, (laughs) wrap it up. (laughs) uh, DB on the Flannery show? Yeah, yeah. Hey, your Ben Jarosky show for Wednesday, December 29th. By the way, Ben's back in Chicago. Welcome back, Ben. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. That's Monroe Anderson's favorite TV show from the 70s. Welcome back, Connor. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, December 29th is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, Chicago Chicagoreader.com. Subscribe. And if you want to help out this program, you can. Chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. So it looks like quite a battle royale. Flannery! Flannery, come on. Uh. It is Wednesday, December 29th. And pre-recorded from my apartment and his attic. Yes, he's back in the attic. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson and the long-awaited return of Sergio Mims. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Back in the Attic Wednesday, and here's why. Because as Dennis said, I'm back in the attic. Yes, I was in California for two weeks visiting family, visiting daughters, son-in-law, granddaughters, friends. Came back, a harrowing cross-country trip. I'll tell you what, folks. This is really like the last couple days. uh, Ben and Monroe, the two... uh, ancient oldsters on this show who have been hiding in their (laughs) houses for most of COVID ventured out. Uh, Monroe Anderson went for a walk with an old friend today, and I got on an airplane and flew across the country from L.A. to Chicago. And let me tell you something, that's a frightening thing. And, And it's like everybody's conspiring to make it even more frightening. I was telling Dr. D about this before we did the show. It's like in the days leading up, to leaving L.A. to come to Chicago. Just the paper, the newspapers were filled with stories, ominous stories. I could just imagine what the boob tube was doing. Be afraid. Be very afraid when you go to the airport. <laughs> COVID is everywhere. <laughs> COVID lurks. And then there was just like oh, planes canceled and long lines and insane passengers and flight attendants really tense and worried. It's just like and then articles like these articles that just instill you with fill you with panic. Like what to do if your plane is canceled? You know, it's like, oh, oh no. 
anyway, somehow or other, my plane wasn't canceled. But what they did was, my wife figured this out. They, uh, there were so many cancellations leading up to when we were coming back that they got a bigger plane. D, I'm not making this up. This was the biggest freaking plane I've ever been on. It was three across. Usually it's just, you know, two rows. It's three rows. Man, I, I don't know. I don't really know airplanes, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm probably some listener out there going, oh, Ben, that's a 747. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, you know, I, I really don't know. But it was big. The biggest plane ever. And then they just shoved everyone. Get in that plane. I was so afraid, D, was the, uh, I was so afraid of catching COVID that I did not take the complimentary uh, ginger ale that I usually take. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I was I was wondering about you. You know, you've done so well at uh, being in your attic and kind of laying low in the. Yeah, well, I've been really uh, just uh, venturing out tonight. I was supposed to go to the Bulls game. I don't know if that's a wise decision, but I got tickets. So I'm wearing two masks, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, anyway, before we bring uh, Monroe on, I just have to say I got a a, uh, a text, good friend uh, Michael Girardi, uh, and we've been doing this uh, bit on the show about how far do you have to leave the city of Chicago before you see a Pritzker suck sign, uh, and Linda Paul uh, sent in a picture of a sign, a Pritzker suck signs on the corner of roughly Montrose in Milwaukee. I think that's where it was, somewhere around there, so somewhere well within the city boundaries. Elston, Elston. Oh, very good. Thank you. Uh, just just edit that out to you so I don't look dumb. Uh, and uh, so Michael Girardi sent one in from the uh, southwest side. It's not a Pritzker sucks signs, uh, but it's a Darren Bailey for governor signs. And as we talked about last week with Monroe Darren Bailey, of course, we talked about him a lot on the show. Uh, he's the far right, far, far right uh, MAGA man running uh, for governor in the Republican primary, probably uh, unless Kenny G gets behind uh, some more moderate, and I have moderate in quotes, candidate will be the the uh, nominee. I believe that Darren Bailey will win if uh, another candidate doesn't jump into the race. Uh, and he's running with Monroe's old friend Stephanie Trussell. Uh, that he picked <laughs> Monroe's laughing, uh, his old friend. Uh, anyway, so there's a Darren Bailey for governor sign, and Darren Bailey, I guess, is more MAGA than Trump. Uh, and so the Darren Bailey for governor sign is roughly 107th in Pulaski. Uh, thank you, Michael Girardi, our correspondent in Mount Greenwood. Uh, every podcast needs a Mount Greenwood correspondent. And so I'm wondering, uh, is there a corresponding a Pritzker for governor sign in Xenia, which is Darren Bailey's hometown? A lot of people don't know that, but he's from Xenia, Illinois. Clay, can you think Michael Flannery knows that? Flannery is in her butt. Troublemaker Flannery is. He, he gets uh, Darren Bailey sales outrageous things against Prisker, and then he kind of shrugs. Monroe, this is classic. This is what journalists do. I don't know. They're running. I that got nothing to do with me. Oh, boy. Anyway, Monroe Anderson, welcome back, Cotter. Welcome back to the show. It's good. I have a question for you. Go ahead. Let's hope I have an answer. Since you're afraid of um, Omicron and Delta, you were on an airplane. Yeah. Did you hold your breath the entire time back? Okay. So pretty much. Uh, metaphorically, I was holding my breath. Uh, I was speaking or, literally. But. Yeah, no, <laughs> okay, I, I, I literally I'd be dead by now or I would have passed out. I had two masks, two masks, okay. one, not one, but two, yeah. uh-huh. two masks. And then this weird thing I do, which all my uh, children and their millennial friends make fun of me for. So, like, when I feel particularly vulnerable, uh, I put my hands over my face like this. Okay. Which, 
It does not. Boy, the millennials have a field day. Look at it. It's so weird. For those of you listening out there who can't see Ben, it's like the peekaboo. <laughs> it's a peekaboo move, but he's not looking out. He doesn't move. It just stays there. So if I can't see the COVID germ that I couldn't see anyway, does that mean it doesn't exist? It's kind of like a tree falling in a forest. You know what I'm saying, Monroe? Yeah, I can't yeah. see it. So. Right. Uh, but no, I did not hold my, but as I said, I did not, you know, I used to love the ginger ale they give you. I love it. Just enjoy, I don't know what it is about me and ginger ale on airplane Monroe, but, um, you know, when the, uh, flight attendant came by, I go, that's okay. I won't tell you. And then there was this dude Monroe. Have you ever known it? Well, you haven't been on an airplane in a while, but, but since COVID every cough I hear. So on that airplane, I hear this guy, he's behind me. He sounds like he's been smoking for three packs a day for the last 50 years. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, he's got COVID. He's right behind me. So, Monroe, can you get COVID if the germs hit the back of your neck? You're our expert doctor. Can you get COVID if they just, like, whack your neck? Do you, um, not, from, not, not, not from the cold, the cough. You get it from breathing. So, so if, if you're breathing the air, oh and if you get the back of your neck, then it it, it probably encircles your head. Oh God! Except if you have N95 mask on, yes. then you're more than likely protected. I had two of them on. Okay, two, two N95s. Yes. Oh yeah. I want to yeah. thank my uh, son-in-law, Brian. The guy has a yeah. lot of those masks. He gave well, them to me. The virus is still fighting to get to you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel on the back of my neck. Yeah, right, right. They're, still, they're still trying to get to you. <laughs> they're, they're sort of like uh, sperm in, inside a condom. <laughs> it's, a little, mm. it's a little hard. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've got that in my mind now. Uh, like, uh, Yes. Uh, the COVID virus as sperm got that firmly fixed in my brain right now. And it's crawling around my neck trying to get in. Hey, let me in. All right, Monroe. Uh, we got, uh, it's the end of the year, a full year's worth of Wednesday conversations with the legendary Monroe Anderson. Uh, and, um, so before we went on the air, uh, you and I wrote down what we thought the top stories were of the year. And uh, I don't know if we would do them in any kind of order. We've already started, which obviously the number one story of the year uh, is the uh, ongoing battle against COVID. Right. And uh, your old friend Eric Soren was on the show last week, did an interview with him. He had COVID. He talked about it all the precautions he had taken and he got it anyway. Uh, and yeah, he's vaccinated. And I think he already had the, he had the booster. Um, actually I can't remember now if he had the booster uh, before he got COVID just cannot remember. I'm pretty sure he did, but whatever his wife had COVID, his two kids had COVID. Uh, and his position on this is that, uh, everybody will get COVID. It's just a matter of time. Oh, oh, that cough right there. Got me scared. Um, and um, so politically, you and I are obsessed with politics. I guess the issue is how will this play out politically uh, in the coming year and how has it been playing out? Uh, your thoughts about COVID as a political issue? It's um, 
it's it's the bottom line, basically the pandemic, because I mean Biden's numbers were flying high, just off the promise of dealing with COVID, which um, the one who came before him did not do at all, except for uh, helping with the the, the um, invention of the vaccination. He put some money, a little money into that. But other than that, he lied about it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Biden came in, took charge, um, was dealing with the, the uh, virus, and by summer did a victory lap. You know, you know, sort of like um, Bush did with the on the ship. Yes. Uh, yeah. Biden did pull one of those with the the virus. Mission accomplished was yeah. the banner, if you right. recall. Exactly. Mission accomplished. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But Biden had his own victory dance with the with it. Everybody was happy, and then lo and behold, first of all, uh, the end of the war in Iraq did not have a good look to it. Yeah. Although the reality is he did a good job with that. Uh, you know, the, the, the Republicans jumped on it, of course, um, talking about the Americans that he did not get out. Whereas in Vietnam, we did not get one person from who was on America's side out. Not one. Biden got uh, hundreds of people out. So if you make a comparison, he did a great job. It's, it's an impossible, it's, it is a mission impossible to get everybody out when you're leaving a country where you lost the war. And in both instances, we lost the war. So, well, and it, and, okay, so okay, let me just get just ask you a question. I'll, I'll do it in a hurry. So anyway, we we he does a victory lap. We think the virus is over, and lo and behold, it's not. A year ago, it was Delta. Now it's Omicron, and we we still have deaths going on. We still have problems, and as a result of the pandemic. You have the um, inflation, you have yeah. the supply lines because people can't come, uh, can't get things done because they can't work for one reason or another. You have all these 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 problems that if you solve the pandemic, cured uh, brought uh, brought it to an end, wouldn't exist, mm. including the inflation. Yeah, so uh, that's the reality, the political rally, and it's in uh, Joe Biden. It's on Joe Biden's, Biden's political plate, if you will. And this is, uh, we've reached that point, Monroe, where realistically Joe Biden can't blame Trump. Now, personally, I will blame Trump for the rest of existence. I think you will blame Trump for the rest of existence. Uh, but I think that uh, as a political reality, uh, in the year 2022, it'll be a Biden's pandemic, which is really bizarre. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into this. I want to talk uh, a little more about uh, Trump and the, what you called. I got to give you credit. You called it the Trump shift uh, on uh, the pandemic. We'll get into that. But I just want to say something about Afghanistan. And I said this at the time. You and I had several conversations about Afghanistan. I feel as though uh, 
Monroe that, um, how do I put this about my uh, fellow Americans? My fellow Americans generally have this, they, they, they have this, uh, they don't want to know. And it's a very unsettling picture in Afghanistan. The result of the United States uh, invasion of Afghanistan. Uh, the reasons we went in were, uh, we essentially were lied to throughout Afghanistan and Iraq. It's part of the same problem. Gets back to what you were talking about, the banner that George Bush put on that ship, uh, mission accomplished. And 20 years later, we were still there. Or 16 years later, we were still uh, in Afghanistan. American soldiers getting killed, billions of dollars being spent. Americans, we really don't even know where Afghanistan is. They don't understand the politics of it. They don't understand the history of it. All of a sudden, they've been dragged into a war. Uh, and so... Biden ends the war or pulls the Americans out and there's a ca catastrophe in Afghanistan. Uh, the Taliban come back. Uh, there's, there was an ongoing civil war and Taliban takeover. So it's like everything the United States was supposed to achieve uh, is out the window. And my attitude about this is that Americans don't care. We did a uh, interview with David Ferris, he's a regular on the show, a really astute political observer, very knowledgeable about uh, foreign affairs. We spent the whole hour talking about Afghanistan, the whole history of Monroe of Afghanistan. And it's one of our lowest ranked shows. <laughs> and it's, I, I, it's a great show. I mean, I urge everybody to listen to it. If you really want to know the history of Afghanistan and the military, the conflicts in Afghanistan, the Soviet Union, you go, David went back. He's brilliant. He went back to Britain, you know, in their role. And he quoted Kipling, you know, the great poet Rudyard Kipling. The point is, Monroe, Americans don't want to know about the unsavory things their government is doing. And yet somehow or other, they're upset with Joe Biden. Like they blame Biden because it's put in their face. That's kind of how I see it. You know what I'm saying? Americans don't want to know. And then they get irritated when they're reminded of it. Uh, that's just my okay. general thoughts about foreign policy. Okay. Let, let, let me talk about Afghanistan Go ahead. for a minute. And I don't need much more than that. Uh, the, the, the phrase is Afghanistan, where empires go to die. And that, that goes all the way back to Alexander the Great. And, and our empire is dying now as a result of Afghanistan, among other things. But, but, um, I, I, I like to blame the craziness, the violence that we have going on. The, the pandemic has helped it, has inflamed it more. But when you're in a war for as long as we've been in a war, then violence, although it's someplace else, you can't, you can't put a wall up and keep it wherever it is. You, you, you start developing a um, violent mentality. You know, if, if, if you'll notice, and this has been in our lifetime, but whenever we're in war, people start dressing in military, civilians, people that wouldn't, wouldn't go anywhere near a war. 
know, when I was in college, we were wearing um, the the green jackets uh, as part of fashion. Yeah, back then. Um, that's why, in my opinion, is it's better to not be at war than to be at. Plus, you get all these soldiers coming back who are have been dr- driven crazy by what they've seen and experienced in the war, who commit suicide or shoot other people. Uh, it's just not a good thing for us to be in at all. Although I, I thought we should have gone to Afghanistan. I, I didn't think we should have been in Iraq at all. I think it was okay for us to go into Afghanistan, but go in and get out, like we did with um, the, uh, what Daddy Bush did. Yeah, with with the war in Iraq. You know, he's when it spent a few days in there, did, did some shocking and on, and then he was gone. Yeah. I I have to think. By the way, where were you going with the? I hadn't thought about that until you said it. You're saying when the United States is at a war, uh, military fashions fashions right are change, and people begin to wear sort of military apparel. Right. And and then you went back in time to the late '60s, and you're right. I think at one point I had was wearing one of my uh, like hippie looking face. I was never really went all out for the hippies, Monroe, because I was too into sports. Yeah. But. Um, uh, and the hippies didn't like sports. Like, what, what? What's that all about? You know what I'm saying, Monroe? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was part of the establishment. Yeah, I love. That. <laughs> I guess you're right. <laughs> right? I, think I may have had uh, an army jacket at one point, and then my dad would be like, "Why are you wearing that thing?" <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I, 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 I had one. I, I had one. You had one? Well, so what yeah. is that all about in your humble opinion? Because you were a lefty back then. You weren't yeah, pro-war. Right. Exactly. So why That's were you wearing an army jacket? Because the protesters were wearing army jackets. The anti-war protesters were wearing those green military yeah. jackets. That's, that's what I'm saying. It becomes, you know, and with, um, with the Afghanistan war, the, the, the caps were being wore by a lot of people were the military type caps. Those who weren't wearing the reds and not the red, the red magic caps that, that came later. But, but those military style caps that soldiers wear, people were wearing that. Um, you have some people who are wearing camouflage stuff. Yeah. And in, in Chicago, camouflage does not hide you from anything. It doesn't protect you from anything. Well, I would say, yeah, this is a topic that I hadn't thought about. We were, but this, um, I'm going with it. A hippie, anti-war activist wearing an uh, army jacket in the late '60s or early '70s yeah. sends a different, obviously more critical message about foreign policy than uh, a a human being wearing camouflage. Like every now and then the NFL, they have camouflage. I, yeah, I right. it's, it's military. It's a military. They have it once a year for the military. And that's wow. because the military gives the NFL lots of money. You know, the military started giving the NFL money uh, to do the, the national anthem. Yeah. If, if before a game, if, um, thirty years ago they didn't do that. The military 
bought into the NFL to do that because they once once we once we didn't have a draft anymore, you needed volunteers. And what about what better volunteers? What greater pool could you have than a bunch of drunk um, young men watching a football game and and thinking about how patriotic they are because they heard this the the uh, national anthem played and so they go join up for the military. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Sergio Mims is already reaching out. He's uh, really eager to come join our conversation. So uh, I say, Dennis, send him the email. Let's bring him in on the conversation. Uh, Sergio Mims, uh, co-founder of the Black Harvest Film Festival, an old friend of Monroe Anderson. Uh, but uh, oh, there he is. There's the good-looking Sergio Mims. Uh, beaming in from Hyde Park, our Hyde Park correspondent. Every podcast needs one. And uh, welcome back, Cotter. I don't know why I got welcome back, Cotter, on my mind these days, Sergio. Uh, you're um, joining us. We're just, we were talking foreign policy, and uh, Monroe made an observation, which was a pretty uh, good one, got to give him credit for, that in times of uh, conflict, military conflict, times of war, uh, military outfits come into fashion. And he was pointing out how in the late... Monroe, did you actually wear... Uh, army jacket in the 60s. Did I get that oh, correct? Oh, yeah. I had one of those green, uh, the longer ones that, yeah. that, that they were. And the reason I had it, I was a student in college. Yeah. And it worked out very well for carrying stuff, the big pockets, what have you. <laughs> and, so you and, weren't sending a message. It was just a, a matter of function. Function and... They, they were wearing them. The, the hippies were wearing them, and the, the black militants were wearing them. It was also, you know, you had the influence, and you know, and that was partially because uh, people who came back from the military had the the uniforms, the jackets, and they were still wearing them. And um, a lot of them. One of my my, my childhood friends went to Vietnam uh, in in sixty five or sixty six. And he came back from there, and he told me, no matter what you do, do not go to Vietnam. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this message to me, don't go there. <laughs> uh, Sergio, did you, were you uh, wearing a green military? You, you and I are the same age, so we were uh, affected by this. I had... And I, I really bought it because I like the look at, of it. I remember maybe in high school, I had a short, one of those short British military jackets that only come up, only go down as far as your waist. Like you would see a British major uh, wear, war would wear. I, I had one of those things. They would sell them all the time. There was a... You see, I was just looking up here. I'm trying to remember the year it came out. There was a documentary that came out called The Selling of the Pentagon yeah. in the early 60s, uh, CBS. And it's about how the whole military-industrial complex, the, the Pentagon, sold the idea of war and military to the public. It was not just the air shows or the parades, but also fashion. It was like, how do we, we're in a war, so how do we, in a way, subconsciously convince people, the public, that war is a good thing? You do it by making it fashionable, by making it cool, 
but making it hot. And at that time, in the early 70s, or well, the 70s, when the Vietnam War was going on, they were doing that. Yeah. Which is really bizarre. We're at tangent here. I want to get back to the current politics, but it's really uh, bizarre. I hadn't thought about this, that the anti-war movement was wearing these military jackets sending some kind of message. I don't know if they were being ironic. I don't know what they were doing. You know, it's so long ago, I forgot. But if you want to build support for a war, Sergio, then you uh, get people to wear uh, camouflage like we do today. We want to give support for the military. The NFL, the football league, every now and then has coaches wearing military fatigue uh, hats, jackets, and um, that builds support. But in the 60s and 70s, it was opposition. Very bizarre, taking it upside down, twisting it inside out. Not quite sure what to make of it uh, in retrospect. You talking about the good old days of Jane Fund and Tom Hayden? Yes. Carrie <laughs> uh, 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 Carrie uh, showed up uh, before, when he talked to the Congress. Right, yeah. He, he, he showed up in a green, one of those green jackets. Yes. You know, he did the, how, how do you... Uh, Asked the last man to die. Yes, Vietnam. You know that 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 quote. John Kerry. Yes. Yeah, John Kerry. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's move on from this and uh, talk about um, the other uh, big story of the year, and that, of course, Republicans trying to steal the election. It's an ongoing story. It's one that's going to carry us into next year, uh, and then and maybe twenty twenty four. Yes, maybe 2024, but definitely 2022 with the midterms, right. uh, Monroe and Sergio. And uh, Monroe, I'll start with you because, as I tell everybody, it was in your eyes, your hor- the horrified look in your face that Wednesday, January 6th. It was a Wednesday. We were doing a, a show, and you had your TV on in the background, and you were watching the insurgents take over the Capitol. I, I, of course, was I had no TV. I was just concentrating on my interview with you. And I saw the look in your face and you were like, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, and now I'm watching it play out almost a full year later politically. It's still happening. It's still happening. <laughs> right. Right. So what do you think the ultimate political fallout of this, the insurrection uh, will be in the coming uh, 2022? I think that the Democrats are going to have to get the voting rights bill passed. They're going to have to do a carve out on on the filibuster and get that done. If they don't do that, then we're going to be living in a completely different country a couple of years from now. It will be fascist. No ifs, ands, buts about it. Uh, because the Republicans are doing, uh, setting up the this whole fascist nation before our very eyes, and aren't apologizing about it. They're saying this is how it should be, basically. When they're doing it bit by bit, piece by piece, and when it's done that way, it becomes normalized to where it becomes acceptable. Yeah, the normalization of it is what scares me. Sergio, your thoughts? Uh, don't forget, you know, next Thursday will be a year. Be your first year anniversary mm-hmm. of the insurrection next Thursday. 
Uh, I know that Donald Trump, I believe, it's going to be doing a press conference on that day for Mar-a-Lago. I don't know what he's going to say. I can make a guess, but I don't know what he's going to say. But I'm a little afraid about next Thursday because I don't know what, what could happen. Because, look, they're going to keep trying. Okay, that didn't work last year. This time it'll work. I mean, Peter Navarro just flat out admitted this week that, yeah, we tried to pull a coup. And he now has a book about it. Um, they're, as Monroe said, they're not ashamed about this. So, um, oh, by the way, and, and I actually had to look this up because I know I, I read this somewhere. But it's true. You know, this is not the first time. In 1933, there was an attempt of a government coup against Franklin Roosevelt and installing a dictator in his place. This was something that was hatched up by some Wall Street people and uh, some business people because they were against them. So this is not new in American history. And there have been individual little insurrections in states over the last 200 years. So this is <laughs> so like this is an American institution, you almost want to say. Um but yeah, I think they're gonna, they're gonna keep trying. They're gonna keep trying until one day maybe it'll work. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there was this article in the Atlantic called uh, "January One Was Practice." Yeah, yeah. And and it it it, it hit all the those points. Yeah, January you know, and we have people in Congress who are, of course, big supporters. People like. Uh, Marjorie Green and uh, Bobart and um, Tom Cotton and uh, let me see who else. A whole bunch Gosar, of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's just say the Republican Party. If something like this happens, will the Republican Party in mass say anything? And by the way, talking about the Voting Rights Act, don't forget, Adam Kissinger is against the Voting Rights Act. So everybody who's here, you know, thinking he's this great guy because he's speaking up against Trump. Yeah, I take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, that's uh, he's, he, he's he's a Republican, as as I've said several weeks on this show. Is yeah. what he's doing is admirable, but don't be fooled. He's still a Republican. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's just bring in. Uh, let's talk uh, race. Uh, I'll hold off on Trump because you mentioned the Voting Rights Act. Uh, the Voting Rights Act fight. Uh, is, is, isn't Trump dead? Oh. <laughs> Sergio, oh told us, Sergio told us more than once uh, that Trump was going to die in office. He's out of office now. So he, almost he, he, he almost did. He almost did. When he yeah. got the COVID, he but, almost did. So what, what are they we playing, bocce ball here? They put, they put are, are we every... playing bocce ball here where if you're close, you get some points? <laughs> they, put, they put every drug in his body to keep him standing up. Yeah. Okay? So he almost did. Now... I almost only counts in anything, Look, anything can happen in a year. Anything can happen in a year. You know this in politics. Anything can happen in a year. Yeah. And it's going to happen in two years. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen in 2024. Or, or just say well, November 2022, by the way. Sergio, let, let, me, let me ask you this. Do you know what the greatest predictor of death is? 
What? Perth. What? Oh. Perth. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah, so Trump will die sooner or later, as you, as well, I and you had been. So yes. if you stick with this long enough, you'll get it right. Well, uh, Yes, it's true. Uh, Sergio made that prediction. Although I still have listeners, Monroe, I guess, uh, who text me from time to time uh, about predictions you've made uh, down through the years. That have so I've got to give both of you credit. You're not afraid to make predictions. Uh, <laughs> I, mine I, I have think come true, said, just not on, on the calendar. Yeah. I, yeah. But Did, it, I want to get this correct. Twice. Didn't you predict that Biden would win the states of Alabama and Mississippi? Yeah, sure did. <laughs> I said, yeah, I said, in a best case scenario. I see. We did not hit the best case. Uh, and Sergio, <laughs> did you predict call, that Biden would win the state of Utah? Huh? I sure did. Yes. <laughs> I sure did. I thought he had a shot. I, I um. I oh I loved it when Monroe made that prediction about Alabama and Mississippi, sir. I got to tell you because it made me feel so confident coming in. That prediction, nobody in his right mind would make. <laughs> Utah, I thought he had a chance. I saw Biden had a chance because Mormons don't don't particularly like Trump, and I thought he had a chance to win. Biden had a chance to win Utah, but nobody's going to say in the right mind that he's going that Trump's going to win Alabama. <laughs> Well, I think the the common theme here, uh, Sergio Monroe, uh, is that when the three of us, we saw eye to eye on this, when the three of us looked at the uh, upcoming 2020 presidential election, we concluded that no person in his or her right mind could possibly vote to reelect Donald Trump given the disaster he had made out of COVID. It just it, aside his behavior, the, the rape charge. Let's not forget that, and just just his the outrageousness of him as the president, compounded by his wackiness in regards to COVID. We all concluded that there was just no way America would. Um, dignify that man by reelecting him. And so that's why, to a certain degree, we had this confidence bordering on cockiness. Monroe's predicting Alabama and Mississippi. You're predicting Utah. And I feel as though what was disappointing about that election, and which is frightening as we head into 2022, and I'd love to get your reaction to this, Sergio Monroe, is that not only has the country shown uh, a willingness to vote again for Trump, because he got more votes than any other losing candidate uh, in 2020. But they might be preparing to vote him in again. And so they're they're showing the exact opposite behavior uh, that we all predicted. Your thoughts, well, Sergio? Well, you, can, I, as I told Monroe yesterday, Stuart Stevens, who is the uh, former Republican consultant, he's part of the Lincoln Project, the Never Trumpers, he made a comment once that I think is dead accurate. He said... You know when you're driving on the street and somebody cuts you off and you scream and you curse out that guy, you know, because that's not the person you are. He pisses you off. Trump said that person, when you're in the car cussing that guy out, that's your better self. That's the guy you really are. And 
people responded to that. People saying, yeah, I'm an asshole. He's an asshole. He's saying it's okay for me to be an asshole. Finally, I can be my true self. I don't have to be kind to anybody. I don't have to understand anybody. I just want what I want, and I want everything my way. Now, the other thing about Trump is that I told Monroe yesterday, what is preventing Trump to announce right now that he's running again? There's nothing stopping him. I, I, I don't know why he just go ahead. Okay, you want, I'm going to make another prediction. Okay, I would. He might announce next Thursday. Not a prediction. <laughs> he's running again. Okay, he might. Okay, yeah. I, I'm am co- covering myself. I said he might. No, just go for it. He will. I said I, he might. I, you, I, I go might, for it. You might win the lottery. <laughs> no, no. You know I what? If, when it comes to predictions, I say go out for it. Yeah, right. Because what's the worst that can happen? Someone will remember and uh, give you grief about it. But if you're right, okay. you're a genius. Then fine. Then I'm going to say, I think, I think he's going to announce it. Because look, once he does that, all the accidents sucked out of the room. He becomes the focal point now. He's the guy. Nobody's talking about anybody else except him. Everybody else who's considering running, like Pence or Cruz, they're out. Well, let me put it this way. They're hoping that something may happen to him, you know, in a physical sense. He may not be able to run in 2024. And then look at all the money he's going to raise if he announces. I mean, he's going to raise so much money. We we had this discussion yesterday on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I, don't, my, I, don't say, I don't think and there's my, anything. My, my position on this mm-hmm. is that there is no mileage in Trump announcing that he's a candidate yet. He's he has the money coming in because they're uh, they're sending money in to help stop the steal and to go against. The Democrats, anyway, they're just doing that. And and so he has the money come in. He has all the oxygen in the room. Pence, is, Pence, Pence Cruz, Christie, if you put all their ratings together, they wouldn't get get to double digits. So he has that. They're, he doesn't have to announce. He's, he, he's getting all that, and he can do it whenever he wants. Mm. You see, now, I should say I am iffy about him running again. I, everybody says he's going to run again. I'm iffy about that. I'm not sure yet. I am not sure yet. But one of the things is that there's nothing right now stopping him from running right now. He'll be the talk for this year. He will really, ch- I mean, I should say of the the, the 22 midterms. He would change it incredibly for the and negative, then, for the negative, not for the positive. This is why he's well, not. Yeah, they, but, but you see, but for him, negative is positive. Wait, when you say for the negative, you mean negative for the Republican Party, Monroe? Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's what you I'm saying. Okay. The Republican, uh, because the people who are going to vote for Trump, a vote for Trump's candidates, are going to vote for him anyway. But if Trump is on the ticket, which he's not for 2022, it's going to bring out um, a whole bunch of independents who don't like him 
to, to vote. It's going to bring out a number of black folks who may not show up uh, again because the Democrats haven't delivered on their, that Biden haven't delivered on their promises to the black voters who came out, although a pandemic was going on, to vote for Biden. But they will come out to vote against Trump. Yeah. Well, all right. Candidates. All right. We're, so let's talk. I think he is running again. And I think the, uh, the evidence is what we talked about very briefly last week, Monroe. Let's have a fuller conversation about it. And that is uh, what Monroe Sergio calls the Trump shift. And I can give Monroe credit for this one. He came up with the, the, the phrase, tr- the Trump shift on uh, COVID. Uh-huh. And so uh, Donald Trump, uh, over the last last week, who knows if he's going to continue this going into J- his January 6th. But where he is right now, we all know Donald Trump can change, is right now is urging Americans to get the booster uh, in order to promote himself uh, as the savior of America because he, quote unquote, uh, created the vaccine. And it's such a bizarre and twisted position for him to take uh, Sergio Monroe because uh, his party, MAGA, to a large degree because of Donald Trump's behavior, is essentially anti-vaccine. And so if you're, they, they're not promoting it. They're not urging people to take it. They're certainly not trying to force people to take it. If anything, they're going in the opposite direction. They're using their power and their authority to prevent municipalities uh, from mandating it and forcing it. They're going to court to block corporations from mandating it. So the vaccine will only work if people take it. And if you have the Republican Party as effectively, at best, neutral, in the effort to get people to take the vaccine, then you can't claim credit for creating something that didn't co- solve the problem. It's really a vexing situation for Trump. Trump can, now, Trump can claim. <laughs> <laughs> with, with Trump, two things could be a lie. <laughs> You're so right. You see, but the thing was that I never understood yeah. <laughs> why he didn't get behind the whole vaccine thing in the first place. He would have been unbeatable last year. He would have been unbeatable. He would have been the guy who defeated COVID. He could have said, hey, it's because of me I had this vaccine created at warp speed. And everybody's getting vaccinated. He should have pushed it. Believe me, you know his followers would have done it. His followers would have would have followed whatever he says, right? It would have been, hey, let's you know, let's uh, what's the thing to you about uh, about the libs, you know, um, triggering, you know, triggering the libs, yeah, let's trigger, the let's trigger the libs and let's all get vaccinated. He would have been unbeatable. I don't know why they thought that was a winning strategy to go against it. Well, because if you, you've forgotten what the, the political climate was like uh, uh, in the early part of 2020, when, um, excuse me, the early part of, uh, well, it, was, it goes, yeah, 2020, you forgot the whole eruption that MAGA America had against the pandemic mandates before the vaccine. You forgot MAGA in full force in Lansing, Michigan. And we talked about this a lot on the show. It's almost two years ago. 
when governors, it, the governor Whitmer of Michigan was uh, enforcing a mask mandate uh, and ordering schools closed. There was that protest where the MAGA protesters took over. It was almost like a, a, a forerunner of January 6th. They took over the state house. They had their Confederate flags. They had rifles. Uh, they, they had their motorcade. And they linked a whole bunch of issues, symbolic issues together, Sergio. And that's hardcore. They were waving Trump signs and Trump did not want to go. He's a, I mean, if essentially it was cowardice, he did not want to get to go against hardcore MAGA. And so he got pushed into this situation where he was at best ambivalent about uh, COVID. You know, that's when they began undercutting Fauci. That's when they began saying, sending out mixed messages about whether you should wear a mask. That's when the resistance took place in DeSantis, Florida, uh, against mandates and, and Abbott's Texas. When, yeah, when bleach and and, and uh, drinking bleach became a, a possibility. A possibility, yeah. And no, that became the reality position of the Republican Party. What's that, Sergio? It was reality. Some people actually did it. Yes. So now I also believe it was because Republicans did not want to acknowledge COVID as a reality uh, because they were so mad. Monroe talked about this all the time in the year 2020, that part of the reason Trump was going to lose, he predicted, was because the economy turned uh, sour. And unemployment rose. It shot up, as you recall. And uh, that was that was Trump's legacy. And so Republicans had a, uh, the counter reaction, which is COVID's not real. It's a hoax concocted by Democrats to undercut the economy. Trump's strongest uh, positive heading into the election. So for all these reasons, the Republicans turned against any kind of rational response to COVID. And now... Here we are. Go ahead, Sergio. Well, no, it's and I said this before. We are not Japanese. We are not English. We are not Germans. We um, we are we are Americans. Americans do not like to be told what to do. We, as a culture, do not like to be told what to do. I want to do what I want to do when I want to. Yeah, that's our culture. And the fact that he got so many people vaccinated, and, and, and I should say this attitude really started, really began to decrease during the Reagan years. You, you want to trace it back, start to the 80s. Uh, but that's our attitude. So you can't make me do anything. I'm going to do what I want to do, and how dare you? Um, that is the thing. And um, when you see someone like Fauci, Fauci is that <laughs> Fauci is that arrogant, stuck-up brainiac in high school. You hate it. You, you always hated that kid. You know, he was the smartest kid in the class, but he was um, point Dexter. You can't stand him. All the teachers loved him. You know you weren't smart as him. And it seems that every time he opens his mouth, he's a spoil sport. I just saw a comment he said the other day. We may need another booster shot. What? Look, people are going to say, okay, enough already. I've been vaccinated already. That's enough. That's enough. And when I see people, so people see him as a spoil sport. 
you know, you mentioned it yourself. I agree with you. It goes back to high school. Everything always seems to go back to high school. Um, and somebody once said, to perfect example, perfect example, when, um, uh, Oh gosh, was it when when Gavin Newsom was running for re-election? I mean, the, the recall in California. Yeah, and he was up against Larry. Uh, what's that guy's name? Elders. Larry. Uh, Larry Elders. Yeah. Did you see the commercial, Larry? You see the commercial Larry Elder had against Newsom? Which one? He had, this this was a real commercial. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. He had a guy, this nerdy looking guy. And he said, "I really hate Gavin Newsom. He remind he looks like the guy who took my girlfriend in high school." <laughs> I did not see that. Oh, you uh, can find it. I've seen it. Uh, he goes back to high school. All right, Monroe, your thoughts about uh, Americans do not want to be told what to do. I actually think Sergio's onto something with that. I, I don't. I mean, he has some. It had not had, yeah, he's on to about this much. Oh, come on. I got of two course. fingers. You never want to <laughs> give me credit. You never want to give me credit. You never want to do that. Right. Okay. This is the situation. Americans did not want to go to war during World War II. We were isolationists at the time. What happened was the Hollywood propaganda machine geared up. You had all these which war? World War II. Well, well, what happened was, hold on, something called Pearl Harbor. No, but but, but that was one thing, but there were many, many Americans that did not want to go to the war. They wanted us to have a war, like now, with Afghanistan. Uh, During that war, only 10% of Americans actually went to war. You know, people either were for it or didn't care about it one way or the other. But with World War II, they made it, the, the propaganda machine made it a, a national effort. For example, in, this, um, in the DePaul area, um, there was a time when all the fences were these link chain fences uh, 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Because the, the rod hand iron fences had been there, but what they did during World War II was donate the iron to the war effort. They literally had their fences; they took took their fences down because we needed the steel to make the the weapons to fight the war. I mean, it was a you had you had these uh, war bonds, what have you. You 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 don't have that now. And another reason for that is you have Fox, the anti-everything um, uh, station. If, if, if Fox existed when Nixon was president, mm-hmm. he never would have had to leave office. Yeah. He never would have been impeached. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of the problem. It's not, you know, so, I mean, Sergio is right that Americans don't like to be told, but they can be fooled, propaganda, if that's done. Let's not forget that Fox has created Roger Ailes, a former Nixon aide. And, all right, let's uh, shift to uh, something I've been wanting to talk about. I mentioned this to Monroe before we went on the air. I saw this story pop up uh, on the Washington Post right before I came on the air, so I don't know if either one of you has seen it. Uh, But there is a a state representative in Rhode Island. Her name is Patricia Morgan. Uh, 
I know where you're going with it. Yeah, she's a, she's a Republican. I just yeah. saw this. Uh, right, by, I just blew my mind. Uh, and so she, uh, uh, she's harnessing, taking the the uh, the movement against critical race theory, which Monroe, I got to tell you, man, I, I the word, the lengths that Republicans will go. It's breathtaking sometimes. So most people don't even know what critical race theory is. It's not a reality in anybody's life. Uh, and yet they've turned it into this monster that is intended to scare white people uh, and uh, stir up resentments as though critical race theory somehow or other means that white people are at fault for every bad thing that's ever happened to a black person. And have to pay a price for it. And it also, according to them, uh, makes their children feel guilty. Yes. For things they did not do. Uh, and so, so this uh, state representative, Patricia Morgan, uh, who is the proponent, supporter of a bill that would essentially outlaw critical race theory allowing uh in the state of rhode island which i'm from rhode island folks rhode island is about as big <laughs> as my bathtub okay to the rest of the country i'm from rhode island. i didn't even know there were black people in rhode island uh sergio until i read this maybe there aren't okay you know uh but they're trying to scare white people in rhode island with critical race theory so she sent out this tweet uh that she had a black friend and she lost her black friend <laughs> I'm not making this up, Monroe. Yeah, I, know. I, heard story. Story. I heard the story. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. This stuff that's going on. Let me just read this to you guys. Uh, I got it right here. Uh, she lost a black friend due to critical way. Here's her tweet. And then I'm going to ask Sergio for his response and Monroe for yours. Here she is. I had a black friend. I liked her and I think she liked me too. This is like starting off like a Dr. Seuss book or something. I had a black friend. <laughs> I like green eggs and ham. I had a black friend. I liked her, and I think she liked me too. But now she is hostile and unpleasant. You, hold on. Yeah, I, 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 I am sure I didn't do anything to her except be white. You hearing this, Monroe? This sounds, sure. like dear, this sounds like Dear Abby to me. Yeah, it's like Dear Abby. Yeah, Dear Abby. I had a black friend. I liked her, and I think she liked me too. But now she is hostile and unpleasant. I am sure I didn't do anything to her except be white. Wow. <laughs> is that what teachers and our political leaders really want for our society? Divide us because of our skin color? And then it says, hashtag CRT. Which is, you know, the acronym for critical race theory. Did, Monroe, did, yeah, did you oh. say her name was Karen? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Patricia Morgan is her name, but uh, oh, okay. her middle name may be Karen. Ford. Yeah, right. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, I had a black friend. You almost have to admire. And why it's the wrong word. You have to appreciate sometimes the genius of the GOP. They took uh, something that's been around for 30 years, that's only been talked about in academic circles, and turned it into a wedge issue that has turned people upside down. There's a genius behind that. And one of the things is that 
Um, if you're going to say that, you better say evil genius. But <laughs> no, fine. It is an evil genius. True, yeah. it is. Yeah. Fine, it is. But there's always a genius thing, a genius about it. The, the thing about it is that um, the people who support critical race theories, who are basically professors and lawyers, that sort of thing, they haven't really, their response to it has been weak, if anything at all. So the GOP has just run rampant to push as much as they can on this whole thing. And it's affected any it's affected everybody. And for this woman, and I saw this article yes, I mean, I saw I heard the story yesterday about her. And um when she said she had a black friend, I are you sure she was a friend? <laughs> you know, I, first I, place? I would bet money she was not. <laughs> I, no, I, of I, not. I would bet money that she was an acquaintance. You know, no, I've, I've, I've had my some of my right wing uh, Trump Facebook friends claim that they have black friends, and what no. I would do is I would say, "What type of friend is it? Is is he the type of friend that you have over to your house for dinner, or that you've invited uh, that he's invited you to his house for dinner? Do you um, actually go out?" together? Do you confide in each other? This is what friends do. Just because you speak to somebody and and um, maybe have no, a what you mean by friend? What she means by friend, actually the woman at the cashier counter when she's at the supermarket. Right, that exactly. Right, right. Who she, right. she exchanges pleasantries with when exactly. she's at the supermarket. Exactly. That's her friend. Now, I know she's been ridiculed. Of course, she's been ridiculed all over the place. And I would not be surprised if she issues some sort of, she tries to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, make some sort of clarifying statement. Oh, I was misunderstood. What I really meant was. No, she's sticking by it. Oh, I she mean, is? Uh, oh, yeah, okay. at least at the moment. Lord knows, you know, I, I don't, and I don't see, I see no reason why politically speaking, uh, if she's a re- most more often than not because of gerrymandering, she's probably in a very conservative district. So you know how gerrymandering works. So uh, it's it, it would there would be no political cost if if for to her shifting on this. But um, she's sticking on it. She's going further, and she's doing what I I just can't deal with this. I've written about it. I, I will endlessly write about this, uh, Sergio Monroe, because I object to this so much. She's quoting Martin Luther King to support her worldview. Well, and, yeah, that's uh, what we always take that colorblind society quote yeah. from Martin Luther King. This is a man whose portfolio of activism is extensive and which uh, everything he stood for, everything he died for, Sergio, is being opposed vehemently and viciously by the Republican Party right now. And they got the nerve. They got the nerve to quote him out of context to justify whatever idiocy they got. Malcolm X said that um, they love you when you're dead because you're not you're not there to say, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. They, They can quote you. Once you're dead, and and use the quotes they want. Well, we, no, we it, see it, this, you know, because even with the just just as, as as an example, even with the Clinton being the first black president, well, Tony Morrison yeah. said it, 
but she was still alive when they were using it. And she said, no, 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 I did not say that. I did not mean that. What I mean, what I meant by that was like a black person. Clinton was poor and he, there were certain characteristics, but that he was not, he was anything but a, a first black president. Man, I cannot. That quote. Well, we're, I'm going to resist going down the the Clinton path. The, to, to Bill Clinton. Don't get me started. Know, on, you, don't you, get me started you, on Clinton. You've been watching the Clinton series. Yeah. Series, so, yeah, yeah. That, uh, by the way, that's brilliant. I don't know if uh, Sergio has seen that impeachment. Um, but I, I just. So she's doubling down on it. She's quoting Martin Luther King to justify it. Uh, and it's as though Martin Luther King has been weaponized, Sergio Monroe, to fight critical race theory. It's as though somehow or other, this is just like this like fabrication beyond fabrication. Somehow or other, there was a perfect time in our country when the leaders of black America were sort of like the leaders of today's current Republican Party and asking that race not be considered at all in any way as a factor in life. But we've moved away from that perfect time. And now we are insisting that we, the Democrats, are insisting that race be considered a factor in American life. I'm like, what freaking planet have you occupied? You know, Race was a huge factor in the 60s. There were riots in the streets of almost every American There there was busing. Let's not forget busing and the the welcome wagon parties they held for that. Yeah, but Martin Luther King is safe. He's safe. He's the go-to guy for the GOP now. He is, uh, for lack of a better expression, he's the safe black guy to quote. Because, no, but only only certain quotes. Because that yes, speech, only that, that quotes. Marshall Washington speech, had much right. more dynamic uh, points made in it. It was anti-war, for example. I mean, but what they did was 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 pick a a, a few quotes. They cherry picked a few quotes out of it, and and that's what is their banner. You know, well, you know, it brings me back to Muhammad Ali. Yeah, with Muhammad Ali. Uh, was at one time the most hated black man in the country. You can make that argument for his stance. It started when he joined the Nation of Islam and then his stance in the Vietnam War and refusing to be drafted. And then towards the end of his life, when he was ill, he was out of boxing, he was renovated as, you know, the great this great black athlete. And I said, hey, it wasn't that long ago you despised him. You, you know what? And, 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 and this is something I... Uh... I think about a lot, uh, Sergio. I, I'm obsessed with Muhammad Ali, and I have been from the moment I became aware of him. And again, I always say Sergio and I are the same exact age. Monroe's a little older, but we're all essentially the He's same. He's a lot generation. older. <laughs> no, no, uh, you got that wrong. Say, say, well, not not for Ben, but for you, smarter. Oh, wait a minute, hold on. So, Older for smart. <laughs> but Muhammad Ali is such a a ball of contradictions. Because, and I'll tell you this, as a white person, a white kid in the 60s, Sergio, he was scary. So read some of the things Muhammad Ali said about white people. 
It was, you, he, you he know, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what's the love about all. this guy? You know, <laughs> and yet I'm drawn to him because he's so charismatic <laughs> and he's so powerful and graceful and all those things. And he's so courageous. So it's really you got to deal with a lot of issues as a white person when you're dealing with Muhammad Ali. But to yeah. see what they've turned him into now, this caricature, just like Sergio was saying, I don't know what he represents anymore. They've just taken everything he said, everything he did. They just throw it away and use him. Uh, yeah, that's what America does. Monroe, you you said it when you're dead. They do all kinds of things. I, I watched him do it to Karen Lewis, uh, Sergio's classmate at Kenwood, the great Karen Lewis. The, when she died, oh my God! Corporate Chicago, you, they suddenly love Karen. I mean, you guys had nothing but bad things to say about her when she was alive. Yeah, even, even even Rahm Emanuel was crying. Oh, don't, oh we'll get to him in a little bit. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> crocodile tears if I ever saw. So I I uh, put Monroe Sergio. Come on, I had a black friend. Who writes that? I had a black friend. Like, so that's, the, that's the new, improved version of some of my best friends are black. Some, <laughs> some of my best friends are black. Some of my best friends are Jewish. Yeah. Well, yeah, she has no right. black friends. Oh. I'm like, you know, there's a whole lot of black people out there. Patricia Morgan, if you lost your quote unquote black friend, maybe you can make a new one. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Now you understand why she only had one black friend. Right. Okay. Now you know. Right. Hey. Uh, she, yeah. It's like she, that was the one black person in America. That's it. Ah, tough luck. Now, now, Joyce and I have been only black friends to a number of people. So we know how that goes. <laughs> you know, we go to their parties uh, or their dinners, and it's us and a bunch yeah. of white people. Yeah, and so uh, they the they they could lose us easily too, and they wouldn't have to be as outrageous about it. <laughs> and so the movement is is picking up. So the anti-critical race movement is picking up. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis uh, is pushing for a bill in the state of Florida that allows parents to sue, sue schools teaching critical race theory. Uh, and it's called Stop the Wrong to Our Kids Employees uh, Employers Act. And I'm like, stop the wrong to our kids. Wow. Just think about that. Ron DeSantis is kind of intrigues me because he so clearly is very ambitious and wants to run for president. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not. People have pointed this out. He It's come to the point where he's now imitating Trump with his hand movements. Watch, I mean, watch the videos. He does the same exact, hand, I mean, he like he took videos of Trump. Watch how he moves his hands, you know, Trump has this particular way of the fingers and moving his hands. He does the exact same thing because he wants people to say subconsciously, hey, why does that guy remind me of Trump? And he's one of those who very much hopes that maybe something might happen to Trump between now and 2024 that will give him an opportunity for him to come. I don't think he'll run against Trump. If Trump's not in the race, he would run. No, 
Well, yeah. well, here's the thing. The, the talk is that Trump, Trump is trying to get, okay, Trump is trying to get um, commitments from people who may run against him that they won't run. Okay. Um, yeah. DeSantis refuses to do that. And that's why Trump is mad at him. He refuses to give him any kind of commitment yeah. that he will not run for president in 2024. I, I'd be very surprised if any uh, MAGA uh, style Republican runs against Trump. I, I'm not even sure Chris Christie's going to have the guts to do well, it. Forget, Christie's over. Yeah. He's finished. Yeah. Uh, anyway, all right. I uh, I'll be watching this critical race theory. Ron DeSantis bill stop the wrong to our kids. Uh, Monroe critical race. Yeah. the critical race theory is busing recycle. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. You know, it's a, uh, integrating the schools. That's you know. good. Yeah, that's, good. that's what it is. And and the Republicans, you know, they were very very endeared to anti busing back in the sixties and seventies. And so now they're um, they want their kids to be stupid. They don't want them to know about American history. They rather have them not know about American history. It's it's deep, man. When you uh, it's trying to turn Americans uh, like yeah into ignoramuses about their historical past. And uh, trying to set up an alternative set of facts, uh, to quote, uh, what was her name? What was that uh, that sidekick to Trump? Uh, God, I put her name out of my mind. Uh, Conway, uh, Kellyanne. Yeah, turn alternative set of facts about the whole history of race relations in this country. It's I've been watching it, Monroe, for the last ten years. I've watched it, but to. Put laws in the books that could be interpreted as censoring teachers from the party that supposedly is against censorship uh, and cancel culture is really, uh, well, the ultimate act of hypocrisy. But as you pointed out many times, Monroe, they don't care. Uh, if you, call yeah, you know, you know the, the thing is with with the the the, the vaccine. It's their bodies, and they should control it. And it's no the government has no right to tell them what they can put in their bodies or not. On the other hand, <laughs> they're quite willing to tell a woman yeah. whether she should have an abortion or not. They, they, yeah. they quite quite willingly want to take over her body and what she does with it. Uh, and also the, the other thing is that most of the people who are critically ill or dying of of the virus as we know, it's been reported many, many times that people are unvaccinated. Right. We have to assume that most of those people are, you know, um, people who are followers of Trump. Right. right? So it's like, well, you're killing your own people. You don't care? No, they don't. No. Uh, All right. We're going to close a little local news. And Monroe has breaking news, uh, Sergio, for you and me. I don't know if he broke it to you already. He's definitely not broken it to our listeners. Uh, he, had a, he, he had a Christmas Eve encounter with his favorite mayor. So, Monroe, take it away. Oh, no, you got to be kidding me. I was, I, was at, I was shopping, doing last-minute shopping, very last-minute shopping, uh, at Jewel, Osco. Uh, and... I'm in the produce section, and I see this little black woman 
oh. uh, with a wisp of gray hair out coming out. She's wearing a mask, so it's not. And she has her back to me, but I immediately recognize her, and I say, uh, "Mayor Lightfoot, Merry Christmas." And she turns and she looks at me and says, "Merry Christmas to you." And um, then she continues her shopping because the store is closing in an hour or so. And I continue mine, but then I run into her near the liquor aisle. I don't know if she's getting any or not. You know? <laughs> this was the area, and, and I was getting some. I was getting some wine. Uh, but anyway, I then say to her, oh, by the way, um, I'm Monroe Anderson. Um, I was Mayor Sawyer's press secretary. And she said, she said Monroe who? Right, she no. She said, "Pleased to meet you." <laughs> and, I, and I told her that I was I was doing a a chapter for Dick Simpson on Sawyer, and I was going to quote her in it from the Punch Nine movie, where she says she was sitting at the pavilion, and a lot of people on the stage who were saying no deals had already cut deals for themselves. Uh-huh. And she says they were cutting deals, and tell Dick Simpson I said hi. Okay. Yeah, right. And so that was the extent of everything. Well, I once had an encounter with her, too. And this was before she was elected mayor. I, I it was a counter where um, I was I was at a uh, you know, when she was first running for mayor. Yeah. And she there was this sort of it was sort of like a fundraiser meet and greet thing. She was doing around in various homes and places around the city. And I I was invited to one of these things and I got there early. There was really nobody there at first. So I'm sitting around and she shows up because she had these other events to go to. So um, we sat at a table and she talked. I mean, she talked about, well, actually, she gossiped about <laughs> <laughs> certain people, which I cannot repeat here on yeah. this show. Well, because she, 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 look, she looked at you and says, this guy looks like he likes gossip. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> he does. You got that right there. And, and, um, give him what he wants. I get his vote. She, you know, um, um, <laughs> says some things, you know. And I said, well, it should be very interesting. She'll be mayor. Yeah. Hey, who knew? And goes to talk about how anything in a year can happen. Mm-hmm. Don't forget, during the campaign, at one time, she was in ninth place. She was in ninth place. Yeah. Yeah. And just because, thanks to Ed Burke, (laughs) when it came down to Ed Burke, everything blew upside down and right side up. So when when we're going back talking about Trump, anything can happen in a year. We have now about 11 months to the midterms. Anything can happen. Uh, all right, well, we're you're back uh, to trying to make your he's going to be dead before he's back at all. So uh, <laughs> anything can happen. Yeah, I think uh, uh, we're going to back away from that prediction uh, for the next uh, few shows. Uh, before we leave, Sergio, it's the end of the year, and uh, it's usually the time of year where Hollywood releases uh, movies that it's proud of. And I am so out of touch with movies these days for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, so I have to ask you this question. And uh, I want to bring you back for a whole separate show uh, about movies. 
uh, in the uh, first weeks of 2022. But uh, yeah. just the most basic question, is there right now, and of course, Sergio Mims, co-founder of Black Harvest Film Festival, probably knows more about movies. Monroe would agree with this than anyone we know. Uh, is there a must-see movie, in your humble opinion? Right now? Just come out right now, yes. Yes, I'll name you two, right? Oh. Uh-huh. Please see West Side Story. It's my favorite film of the year. Steven Spielberg did a magnificent job. It's cinematic. It is vibrant. It is fantastic. And also, Nightmare Alley, Guillermo del Toro's remake of Nightmare Alley is really great. Uh, both those films are struggling at the box office. Because um, everyone wants to go see Spider-Man. But I really, those two movies. And by the way, I can tell you now. What's going to be our anniversary screening next year at Black Harvest Film Festival? Okay. What? I can, I can go public with this. deal? I, okay. It's going to be 30th anniversary screening of Boomerang. Oh, I just saw that. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you going to get Eddie Murphy to come back? Uh, we're, well, we're, we're, we're going for Halle Berry, of course. Okay. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Uh, I just saw Boomerang. I rewatched it about I forget how many months ago. That dinner table scene, Monroe. I don't know if you ever seen Boomerang. Oh, I've seen uh, Boomerang three or four times. Yeah, where um, I'm just John up. Witherspoon. What's that? John Witherspoon. John Witherspoon. Oh my goodness! May he rest in peace. Is one of the funniest. And that was improv. I I read that somewhere. Yeah, that, yeah. That was all improv. That whole oh, final scene, with that whole final scene when Eddie Murphy comes back to uh, Halle Berry. That was all improvised by him on the spot, one take only. Yes. Oh my God, that scene where he does the imitation of a little girl. Yeah. Let, let me just say this, and and Sergio knows I've been on this. I've said this many times to him. Eddie Murphy doesn't get the credit he deserves in my humble opinion. Eddie Murphy is one of the great movie stars of my time, our time, I should say. He is so multi-talented. He's done so many great movies. If you start off as a comedian, you don't get the respect you deserve. And my other guy uh, is the, uh, uh, the same way who made Uncut Gems, Adam Sandler. Yeah. That guy, they're one, two in terms of not getting the respect uh, they deserve. Uh, but yeah, Eddie Murphy in Boomerang just kills it in that final scene, uh, Sergio, with that little girl. He starts imitating her. You know, he did. It's just brilliant. So I'm really glad that's that's going to be all. Let's hope we're like at some point in <laughs> this ongoing pandemic next year where. Well, let, let me say two things before we end. Uh, some good news. And uh, one is that. Everything I've seen so far, everything looks like oh, this Omicron um, is nowhere as serious as previous yeah. variants. A lot of people are getting it, which is actually a good thing. But a lot of people are getting it. But the, the numbers, I've only heard of one person who has died supposedly from Omicron in Texas. And even then, they're not sure that was the real cause. Mm. So... Um, I haven't heard anything about that. I know units of Chicago just announced yesterday that they, they, they've canceled the first week of school for the winter, uh, the, the, the winter, um, uh, schedule, 
a semester. And for the, uh, January, it'll be, um, it'll be, um, you know, remote. Only. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They hope to reopen it in, in February, right. but I don't think Omicron is going to be anything like what it was. Salon had an article. Daily Beast had an article that this is, they think this is signaling the end. They talked to scientists, epidemiologists. They say, this is the end. Number two, don't forget the pills. This is the most underreported story, I think, of 20, uh, 2021, of this year. That's there, because they're not out yet. Then, right. Once they're supposed to start coming out. They're supposed to start coming out next month. Yeah. The government has spent billions of dollars so people can get these pills for free. Um, from by Merck and the other one by uh, Pfizer. Yeah. And if you're test positive, you take this pill three times a day for five days. Out. You're, you're clear. And this is going to change everything. Well, let's hope so. Let's absolutely hope so. Uh, and it'll make a big difference if nothing lasts next, uh, it, whether it's in August or November, Black Harvest Film Festival. And we don't know yet either. We're going to decide that next yeah, month. <laughs> I am going to see West Side Story uh, and Nightmare Alley, and we'll bring on and have a discussion. I am obsessed with Stephen Sunheim right now. I'm going to a Stephen Sunheim obsession. I bought his uh, collected uh, works. He, he came out with his lyrics, a book of lyrics with, with annotations. Uh, and he, I just finished reading the chapter on West Side Story. And it's really fascinating, Sergio, him talking about working with uh, uh, Leonard Bernstein, uh, who wrote the music. And he, Stephen Sunheim, wrote the lyrics to West Side Story. Uh, so I am definitely going to bring you back and do a West Side Story deep dive. And I'll watch Nightmare Alley as well. All right, we've run out of time. Monroe Anderson, thank you very much. Uh, Sergio Mims, co-founder of the Black Harvest Film Festival, thank you very much indeed. Uh, gentlemen, have a very healthy and safe New Year's, and uh, I'll talk to you next year, all right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, all right, all right next year, Rome was at the time, right? Right. All right. That's great. Monroe Anderson and Sergio Mims. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of Joey Walton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Sergio Mims uh, and Eddie Murphy will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.